you would please turn to Daniel chapter 12, verse 5, and we're going to finish out the book this evening. We're in Daniel chapter 12, verses 5 through 13. Then I, Daniel, looked, and behold, two others stood, and on the, one on this bank of the stream, and one on that bank of the stream. And someone said to the man clothed in linen, who was above the waters of the stream, How long shall it be till the end of these wonders? And I heard the man clothed in linen, who was above the waters of the stream. He raised his right hand and his left hand toward heaven, and swore by him who lives forever, that it would be for a time, times, and half a time, and that when the shattering of the power of the holy people comes to an end, all these things would be finished. I heard, but I did not understand. Then I said, O oh my Lord, what shall be the outcome of these things? He said, Go your way, Daniel, for the words are shut up and sealed until the time of the end. Many shall purify themselves and make themselves white and be refined, but the wicked shall act wickedly. And none of the wicked shall understand, but those who are wise shall understand. And from the time that the regular burnt offering is taken away, and the abomination that makes desolate is set up, there shall be 1,290 days. Blessed is he who waits and arrives at the 1,335 days. But go your way till the end, and you shall rest, and shall stand in your allotted place at the end of the days." This is the word of the Lord. A while ago, uh, there was this podcast I used to listen to, uh, and one of the hosts was this guy named John, and he was describing the bedtime routine that he had with his four-year-old daughter. And so at bedtime, she would have a bath. Uh, they would read a story. I, I think it was the same story every night, but I forget which one. Then they would sing Frere Jacques, first in English and then in French. And then finally, when John turned off the light, he would say to her, do you have any more questions? Well, one particular night she said, yes, what is beauty? Uh, and bedtime was pushed back about another 90 minutes as he said it. Well, we all have questions big questions. Some of them as big as what is beauty, some of them smaller, some of them bigger. But Daniel has seen a vision that provokes questions, a vision that portends trial for the saints, and a trial so great that no other nation will ever experience its equal. Now you'll remember that Antiochus Epiphanes persecuted the saints in Jerusalem so severely that, that the streets ran with blood. But Daniel sees a vision that declares that a trial is coming for the saints that will make that persecution look like schoolyard bullying. And this, question, this vision provokes two big questions. Questions that, from time to time, you've probably asked as well. First, how long until the foretold trials end? And second, 
what will happen when, when they do? It's like wanting to flip ahead in a novel, isn't it? You, you, when the conflict is at its peak, you, you want to know that these characters, these people you've come to love are going to be okay. You want to know what's going to happen in advance. Well, these questions are being asked to the right guy. The man in linen who appears to Daniel to give him this vision. And, and I want to pause for a second because when I, I preached on Daniel 10, I, I had come to the conclusion that Daniel sees the pre-incarnate Christ, the man in linen, but then it's another being who serves as the messenger of the vision itself. And studying chapter 12 has made me reconsider that. Um, I don't think it, we can be completely dogmatic about it, but I'm, I'm persuaded that it's been the pre-incarnate Christ the whole way through. I don't think I taught any lessons that depended on the identification of this, of this person. But it's worth telling you that I've revised my assessment because, like we all do, I try my best to understand the scriptures with God's help. But I'm not infallible. Only God's word is infallible. And yet God is faithful as we study the word by his Holy Spirit to gain a better and better understanding. So God grows each of us in our understanding, even me, even a guy with an MDiv who's been at this for a little while. And so as I was saying, these, there are these two questions directed to this man in linen. And these two questions frame this last part of Daniel's vision, in fact, frame the conclusion of the entire book. It's a really beautiful capstone because these questions encompass the two great themes of the book. For first, the response to how long is that God is firmly in control of the time when these events are going to take place. We've seen this throughout the book, that God is in control at the very beginning, it says, the Lord is the one who gave Jehoiakim, the king of Judah, into Nebuchadnezzar's hand. The stories we read about Daniel and his friends show how God rescues them from wicked and powerful kings and sometimes even turns those wicked kings to faith or at least to give glory to the true God. Daniel's visions show us that God determines the rise and fall of nations, and at the end, he will supplant them all with his own kingdom that will endure forever. Second, the response to what will happen is this. God doesn't always reveal to the saints in detail what will happen, but he does give his people wisdom to endure through whatever does happen. Daniel and his friends needed wisdom from God to even just to navigate how they were going to put into practice refusing food from the king's table. In chapter 2, when Daniel understands the king's dream, Daniel ascribes wisdom to God. And throughout Daniel's visions, understanding comes to Daniel from God alone, and the visions repeatedly uh, emphasize the wisdom and understanding that will be needed for God's people to persevere. And finally, in the last trial, we see how God will give understanding to the saints so that they may endure even to the very end. And so as we finish off the book of Daniel, we look at the, we'll look at these two responses to these questions. And so first, 
to the question, how long? We'll see the response that God is in control. We'll look at this in verses 7 and 11 and 12. And second, as we consider the question, what will be the outcome? We'll see how God provides needed wisdom for his saints to endure from verses 9, 10, and 12. We'll polish it off with a, a, this coda about Daniel's own future in verse 13. And so first we turn to the question, how long? Now in verse 5, Daniel reestablishes the vision. This vision has covered three chapters of Daniel. It started at the beginning of chapter 10 where Daniel was standing at the Tigris River and now we are reestablishing that vantage point. And Daniel and the man in linen are joined by these two, uh, these two visitors, one on other, either side of the river. In verse 6, it's translated, someone said. It could just as well be translated, he said. Uh, so one of these two asks, how long shall it be till the end of these wonders? With these wonders, he's, he's referring to the entire vision that immediately preceded the question. So he's asking how long it will be until the end of Antichrist's persecution. How long will it be until the resurrection? And this question, how long, comes up so many times in Scripture. Sometimes it's in response to sort of the, the daily concerns of life and, and the way that we walk with God. Like David's personal lament in Psalm 13, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? Other times the horizons are broader, like when God sends Isaiah to proclaim his word, Isaiah asks how long he is to preach judgment to God's people. Sometimes the questions take on the, the largest dimensions possible. Like at, at the consummation of history, we see in Revelation the martyrs crying out, O oh, sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? So this is an appropriate question to ask for matters small and great, things, things you hope for God to resolve today and things you trust God to resolve at the end of the age. And yet even as we ask God this question and, and give the answer, receive the answers he considers right, we have to remember something very important about reading accounts of the future, like Revelation and like Daniel. God isn't a fortune teller. God is a promise keeper. In Deuteronomy 18, God forbids his people to practice divination or fortune-telling. But he also says that what a true prophet says will happen, will happen. But this is because a prophet does more than foretell the future. He proclaims God's word and calls God's people to faithfulness. And so the point of a prophet is not so much that you would be comforted by knowing the future. It's so that you would trust God to take care of your future. And so it should be no surprise that the response to the question, how long, is not as specific as a date and a year on the calendar. We get a response to the question, how long, in two different places in this passage. Once in verse 7, in response to the heavenly being, and again in verses 11 through 12, in response to Daniel's later question. 
And so first in verse 7, the man in linen raises his right hand and left hand toward heaven and swore by him who lives forever that it would be for a time, times, and half a time, and that when the shattering of the power of the holy people comes to an end, all these things would be finished. Well, it's significant that he raises both his hands toward heaven. For you raise your hand to take an oath, and it says directly that he's swearing an oath. But we see in Deuteronomy 32.40 that God says through Moses that he lifts his hand to heaven and swears to take vengeance on his adversaries. But here in Daniel 12, he raises both hands. And commentators uh, like Ed Young and... Um, and Sinclair Ferguson have suggested that here he's intensifying his oath, making, if it would be possible, making a, a more solemn promise that he would bring an end to the persecution of the saints. And he makes this promise using familiar words. It says, for a time, times, and half a time. Now we've seen this before in, in chapter 7, verse 25, where the saints will be given into the little horn or the Antichrist's power for a time, times, and half a time. And the historical referent is the same. The interpretation of the time period is the same. Antichrist will have his way with the saints for a while, and then for a while longer. And when it seems the persecution will go on for a while longer still, the persecution will suddenly be cut off as if in the middle by God's power. So Antichrist's victory will seem inevitable, but God will shut, cut short his seemingly inevitable reign. So this is a description of a time span that emphasizes God's definite plan and purpose without revealing any exact dates. But we do see that it really will seem to come just in the nick of time. For it, He says it will happen with the shattering of the power of the holy people. Now this word shatter translates a Hebrew word napetz, which is the same word we read in Psalm 2, where God promises to his son, you shall break the nations with a rod of iron and shatter them like a potter's vessel. Antichrist will be just on the cusp of doing to the saints what God promises to do to the wicked nations. And yet I think it's important that in the midst of this suffering, in the midst of this trial, in, in the midst of the, of the church seeming, see, seeming to be just about to be blotted out, there's still this reference to God's people being holy. The power of the saints may be in the process of being shattered, yet they retain that holy character. When we look at the saints' understanding in response to the second question, we'll unpack this a bit more, but it's critical to note that the suffering of God's people don't lead the saints to forsake God and respond to the world in kind. For it says, Jesus said, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And we also want to take a look at the reference to time in response to Daniel's question about the outcome. For in verses 11 through 12, the man in linen refers to the persecutions under Antiochus Epiphanes. 
because there remain smaller trials for God's people before the coming of Antichrist. It says, John wrote, as you have heard the Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Just as people like Moses and David served as types of Christ, so do persecutions like the one under Antiochus serve as types of Antichrist. Now, the reference to 1,290 and 1,335 days remains symbolic. And the reference to, to days does seem to suggest a relatively shorter period than the times. But when it comes to the specific numbers of the days, I don't know why this time is described first as 1,290 and then 45 days longer. I, I checked it out in several commentaries. Some of them didn't even really address it. The others all had different explanations. None of them convinced me. I don't know. I just don't know what the meanings of these specific numbers is. But there is something solid we can still focus on, which is that the one who endures to the end of the 1,335 days is blessed. And so God has a definite time set aside to reverse the fortunes of those who endure to the end, whether they endure to their the end of their natural lives in the midst of the persecution, or they endure through to God putting a stop to the persecution and they still have their lives. God has a definite time set aside to bless his saints who endure. And it's this blessedness that endures, which is the theme we'll turn to next. For Daniel has his second question to add. We read it in verse 8. After hearing that God has a definite plan to end the persecution of the saints, Daniel doesn't understand. And so he asks, oh my Lord, what shall be the outcome of these things? Daniel has seen the vision and faithfully recorded it, but the meaning of the vision isn't fully revealed to him because the time to fully understand hasn't yet come. The words are shut up and sealed to preserve them until the time of the end. For when God's people are faced with the challenges foretold, then it will be time for the people to understand. So Daniel is told in verse 9, go your way. It's not a rebuke for asking, but it is a message that the specific answers he looks for aren't forthcoming. And I find it so comforting here that complete understanding isn't necessary for godliness. Daniel is instructed to carry on his life of prayer and wisdom because God's word is practical. Daniel isn't going to be the one who faces the trials he's foreseen. He'll face his own trials. And God's word equips him to face his trials. But God and his word and the Holy Spirit equip you to face your trials. Now it's good to think in advance about how you'll respond to different situations you expect to face. It says in Isaiah 32, 8, He who has noble plans, noble things and on noble things he stands. But God also sometimes gives us the understanding we need only when we face those trials. As Jesus taught his apostles in Luke 12, when they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, 
Do not be anxious about how you should defend yourself or what you should say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. So we see here in verse 10, there are two ways to live. To have understanding from God, to be pure and wise, or not to understand and to be wicked. And just as Daniel did, you can ask questions of God. For in verse 10, God promises that the saints will understand. Now, you you shouldn't expect to see a vision or, or hear an explanation the way that Daniel did. But you can ask God your questions and trust him to provide the answers you need in the scriptures. As it says in the Westminster Confession of Faith, the whole counsel of God concerning all things necessary for his own glory, man's salvation, faith, and life is either expressly set down in scripture or by good and necessary consequence may be deduced from scripture. And so everything you need to know to walk faithfully with God and to endure is found in scripture. Now I think it's worthwhile to address your questions to God in prayer as you study his word for the answers. And in fact, as 1 Corinthians chapter 2 teaches us, it's one of the, the roles of the Holy Spirit to enable us to understand the scriptures as we study them. Another way that you can seek God's understanding is to ask for help from your brothers and sisters. Seek advice from the godly men and women who are all around you. You know, this week I got a message from a prospective student asking uh, about singing some particular songs that I knew uh, amounted to false worship. And I, I knew that God forbids false worship. And so I couldn't teach this person those songs in good conscience. And I was going to, to refuse. I was going to say no. Because I know that God says in his word that we are to offer worship to no other gods. But I still asked for help from a couple of friends because I wanted to phrase that refusal with gentleness and respect. For it says in 1 Peter 3.15 that we are to defend our faith with gentleness and respect. And my response was refined by this help. And I believe that my response was more pleasing to God as a result. And so this combination of God's word and advice from my friends led by God's grace to a response that I think honored him. And so Daniel sought answers that God didn't reveal to him. Twice the man in linen tells Daniel that the words are shut up and sealed until the time of the end. For the vision was meant to be recorded and preserved for people after Daniel to understand. And today, God has revealed and given you more understanding than he gave to Daniel. He hasn't revealed everything, not yet, but more, because you have the revelation of Jesus Christ. You have the revelation of the Son of God, our Redeemer. As it says in Hebrews 1, many, long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son. And so today we have a fuller picture of God's purpose for his people because in the scriptures we see Jesus, 
we see the one God sent to be the redeemer of his people and likely the man in linen that Daniel is seeing. Daniel saw him also back in chapter 7, arriving on the cloud to the heavenly court to be crowned prince of an everlasting kingdom. But Daniel didn't see Jesus' obedience and suffering. Daniel didn't see Jesus' wisdom as he refuted his opponents and taught his disciples to walk in purity and faithfulness. Daniel didn't see how Jesus became our high priest by his self-sacrifice on the cross. Daniel didn't see that Jesus would be raised from the dead before he ascended to heaven to be exalted at the right hand of God. Daniel didn't get to see how Jesus would promise to return in judgment to fully establish God's kingdom on earth. Daniel learned of some of the overall themes of of the person and work of Christ, but he didn't see the details. But we have seen these things because God has shown it to us. And if you put your trust in Christ, you can have every confidence that God gives you understanding through his scriptures and by his Holy Spirit to walk in purity before him. And where you fall short, because I know I don't walk in perfect understanding, where you fall short, his perfect faithfulness and understanding are credited to your account. And he protects you and cares for you anyway. And ultimately, by his grace, you can endure whatever trials you face. For if you trust in him to the end, you will arrive at that same blessedness of the 1,335 days. But you can't do these things by your own understanding. But you can lean on Christ's understanding and trust what he has said in his word. And so these are the great themes of the book of Daniel summed up in this closing scene with these questions. God is in control over history. And he gives wisdom to his saints to navigate the challenges they face. And Daniel the man has exemplified both. For throughout his life, he's acted according to wisdom given him by God, and God has preserved him. But God has not only preserved Daniel for this life, for in verse 13, Daniel receives a promise that even though his body will rest in the grave, yet at the end of the days, he will stand in his allotted place. And this is the same promise that he makes to you in Christ. Whether you live through the last days of history or you die before they come, God calls you to go your way in whatever time God has allotted to you and that you will stand in your place at the end of the days. Now, I have a lot of questions too. Especially as a kid, I was full of them. My mom and dad were wise people. They cared for their self-preservation, and so they had a set of encyclopedias, and I came to expect the standard answer, how does a carburetor work, or how does a battery work, or any of these things. I, I knew I would hear, look it up in the encyclopedia. I'm full of bigger questions now than how does a carburetor work. I'm not going to find the answers to these questions in the 1976 World Book. 
I can't even find them on Wikipedia. But the answers I need and the answers you need are found in Scripture. Sometimes the answers we want are hidden in God's counsel. But we can be confident that He gives us the answers we need to endure. For as James writes, if anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it shall be given him. But let him ask in faith, for the, with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. And as for the future, how long? I don't know how long. I don't know how many years or days. I know God has it in his hands. And I know this, that nothing anybody can do to me or to you, and not even death itself, can cause us to forfeit what God has promised we will inherit. As Paul writes in 1 Thessalonians 4, that even the saints who have fallen asleep in death will be raised by Christ when he comes again. And in the meantime, God gives the understanding that you need for now. For these are the last days. I I can't say whether these are the very last days. I can't say whether we're on the cusp of the horrific trials shown to Daniel in chapter 11 or not. But we've been in the last days, as it said in Hebrews 1, ever since Christ ascended to heaven. So God has shown us at least some of what was left hidden to Daniel. For Daniel was instructed to seal the vision. But John, in Revelation 22, was commanded, do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is near. Let the evildoers still do evil, and the filthy still be filthy, and the righteous still do right, and the holy still be holy. So the time is near, fully under God's control. And he alone gives wisdom and strength to his holy ones to walk in the way that pleases him, to forgive us in the many ways we fall short. And in all cases, he swears by his oath to raise us to life again. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for these great promises and that you give us a heart to trust ourselves to you. We don't know what's happening when. We know there are trials now and that the worst of all trials is coming. But we know that you will preserve us. So Father, we pray that you would cause us to walk in the confidence of your preservation. We pray that you would give us understanding by your word and Holy Spirit so that we may know how to act in whatever trials we face. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.